This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hello, welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that host of yours, that woman, Liv. Well, the time has come. We're diving back into the Aeneid for the second to last episode on Aeneas and the founding of not actually Rome. You see, all of this is used as a sort of prequel to the founding of Rome, which comes later. It's a bit of a letdown when you remember that, but still... Aeneas was quite the heroic dude, and and the story was very important to Rome. Um, Even if we do have to wait another couple hundred years for Remus and Romulus to come around, suckling on a mother wolf, a story for another time. I also want to announce that with the last episode on the Aeneid, in two weeks' time, you will get a bonus episode with a conversation on some fascinating literary and historical context for the Aeneid. Am I overloading you with content? My episode on Medusa has been downloaded about half as many times as the conversation with Anwen about her, so I think I might be overloading you with content. We'll see, I guess. Anyway, listen to my episode on Medusa. I put more time into that one than most. All to say, the last episode of the Aeneid will be accompanied by a conversation I had with Dr. Avon McMaster, a classics professor and Aeneid lover, who had some fascinating things to say about Aeneas, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. 
she definitely convinced me that I was a little wrong in how much I found myself disliking the man. I stand by my preference to Homer, no question, but my opinion about the Aeneid absolutely evolved having spoken to her, so I hope you enjoy the conversation. You will learn a lot. But, well, originally I thought today's episode would be the last in the Aeneid, which is why I'm telling you all of this, but there was too much content. So next time. But not next week, because next week's episode is an incredibly exciting conversation with one of my favorite authors, one who I've talked about so many times on this podcast, the name of whom I will announce at the end of this episode. Well, where did we last leave Aeneas? War was raging between the Latin armies and the Trojans, Turnus at the head of the former. The Trojans had been fighting without Aeneas and without the backup he was bringing along with him. They'd done okay at first, but they really needed Aeneas. Fortunately, where we last left the story, Aeneas had finally arrived at the battle with the Latins, and Turnus and his men were making their way towards Aeneas's ship that was just about to land. Things are really getting going. This is episode 108, Violent Aeneas, Merciful Aeneas, Phantom Aeneas? At the sight of the Trojan ships nearing shore, the Italians, the Latins, the even more names I've been torn about what to refer to them as because there are a bunch of tribes in that region, and the Aeneid uses like a handful of names to describe both the Latin army and Aeneas's allies. But that's unnecessarily confusing. Turnus's men see the ships turning to shore and, well, they're a bit overwhelmed. They were doing fairly well in the battle on land with the Trojans, but seeing this much backup arrive isn't an amazing sign for them. But Turnus pushes through. He's determined he will wage this war against Aeneas. He will protect his land and the woman he was supposed to marry, Lavinia. So it's only a blip of fear in Turnus before he channels his anger and goes straight for Aeneas's ship as it slows on the river's edge. He calls to his men, directing them to get to the ship before the Trojans and their allies are able to get onto the land. They'll be more vulnerable as they try to get down from their ships. Many of the Trojans and allies are able to reach the land before Turnus's men get to them, though, and they're ready to battle the Latin armies that pour toward them, led by the very rightfully angry Turnus. With ease, Aeneas takes out so many of Turnus's men, spears through throats, shields shattered, arms hanging on by sinews. Aeneas wrought destruction and gory violence on the Latin army, taking the men out one by one with some of the very same weapons that killed Greeks at Troy those many years ago. Meanwhile, the Arcadians supplied by Evander are having less success. They'd had to leave their horses at their homes since they were traveling by ship, but they weren't used to having to fight on foot, and it was throwing them off their game. Pallas, Evander's son, who was placed in Aeneas's care, who Aeneas promised to keep safe, calls to them in their confusion. He knows they're having trouble there on the battlefield, having to fight a different way than they're used to, and he tries to motivate them to rouse the skills in battle he knows they have. All the while, 
he begins his own assault on the Latin army that stands before him. Like Aeneas, Pallas begins taking out Latin soldiers one by one. Lagus, then Hispos, Thinius, and Camelos, Laertes, and Timber. His success rouses the Arcadians, and they too begin to find their stride in the battle. More death, more violence, more destruction. The battle rages. Men of both sides are taken out, killed in horrible, violent ways. Pallas reigns destruction on the Latins. Arcadians are killed. Etruscans die. Trojans too. The battle between the two sides reaches both equally. No group is spared. So much of this section is just battle. Names and means by which those men died. Just so very much death and destruction. There's only so much I've been able to put in here. The second half of the Aeneid, Aeneas's time in Italy, is meant to very clearly mirror the Iliad to show the cost of war. Now Virgil brings our attention to two young men, one on each side of the battle. Pallas we already know. He's the son of Evander, taken on by Aeneas to be shown the ways of war and battle. And Lausus, son of Mezentius, an ally of Turnus. Both are going to meet their fates on this battlefield. For now, though, they fight each other, equally matched. As the war rages on, Turnus turns his attention to Pallas, well aware of who he is and his importance in the battle. Evander might not be there to watch, though Turnus wishes he was, but regardless, his son is just as important to turning the tides of the battle. He speeds to the pair, coming to Lausus' aid in his fight with Pallas. Pallas, wishing to prove his bravery, shows confidence to Turnus. He comes out into the open, away from the Arcadians there fighting alongside him, and announces that either way this goes, his father will be happy. Either he will bring home Turnus's armor, or he'll be brought home having been honorably killed. Turnus flies at Pallas, who stands strong against him, calling out to Hercules, who his father Evander had taken in and given shelter to, the hero so worshipped by the Arcadian people there in Italy, so connected to them. Evander asks for the hero's help in defeating Turnus. Hercules hears Pallas's calls for help, but there's nothing he can do to help the young man there on the battlefield. Jupiter reassures his son, who's now a god up on Olympus, everyone's life has a set ending. But Turnus's too will come soon enough. Pallas throws his spear at Turnus and takes up his sword. The spear pierces Turnus's shield and even his armor, but only grazes the man himself. In response, Turnus throws his own spear, which flies a little truer and a little stronger. Turnus's spear pierces through Pallas's shield and his armor, diving deeper and deeper, finally driving itself deep into Pallas's chest. 
Pallas is able to wrench the spear from his armor and the wound, but with the spear comes too much of the man's blood. He falls forward, metal clanging against metal, his lips touching the earth of Turnus's people. Turnus stands over the body of poor Pallas, brought all the way there by Aeneas as his protege, the show of trust Evander had for Aeneas in his battle against Turnus and the others. Turnus stands over his body and calls out to the Arcadians who'd been there to watch the poor youth's death, quote, Go tell Evander this, Arcadians. I send him back the palace he deserves, the soothing tribute of a burial I grant him, but he had a costly guest, Aeneas. With his foot on Pallas's body, Turnus rips off the young man's armor, a show of his defeat. When Turnus has done this, he allows the Arcadians to remove the boy's body, the son of their king. One of them runs immediately to Aeneas, pleading for his help, telling him what had happened to poor Pallas. On hearing this, Aeneas makes his way in the direction of Turnus, all the while remembering back to the warm welcome he received from Evander, the promise he'd made in taking Pallas along, feeling the weight of his guilt heavy on his chest. This is his Achilles to Patroclus moment, his Achilles rage against Hector. As he makes his way towards Turnus, he kills as many Latin soldiers as he can. He shows no mercy even when they're on their knees begging for their lives. He is too full of rage at Turnus, and he takes it out on the men. Aeneas kills man after man. Blood and gore rains down upon the battlefield, just like Achilles when Patroclus died. Aeneas kills every enemy in his path, without thinking, without empathy, without humanity. He takes them all out. Anxer and Tarchitus, Lucas, Antius, Numa, and Camers. He kills them all among so, so many others. Then, two brothers enter the fight on a chariot drawn by white horses, Lucagus and Liger. Aeneas stands before them, and Liger speaks to the Trojan hero, saying, quote, This is no Trojan plain. There is no chariot of Diomedes or Achilles. Your life and the war will end here. Aeneas, though, doesn't even deign answer these words by Liger. Instead, he throws his spear at just the right moment when Lucagus had moved to steer his horses, and Aeneas's spear shoots right through the man's armor and deep into his thigh. He falls from the chariot with a thud. Within moments of Liger's speech, both brothers have fallen and are lying, dying before Aeneas. Now his tone has changed. Liger pleads with Aeneas for his life, to which Aeneas only tells him not to leave his brother's side before he kills him, sending them both to the underworld. Around this time, Aeneas's son, Ulysses, and the other Trojans still by their fortress, break through the Latin troops. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Meanwhile, on Mount Olympus, Juno and Jupiter watched the battle taking place before them on the plains of Latium, and Jupiter comments on the strength of Venus being shown down there on the battlefield. She is responsible for the success of the Trojans, he tells Juno. Why do you taunt me, she replies, as she is notably on the side of the Italians in this fight that is, at least for the moment, not going particularly well for the people of Italy. Let me at least save Turnus's life now, she asks him, for he shares some of our godly blood. Jupiter tells her that she may save Turnus for now, so long as her intention is to only give him a brief respite from death and not change the course of this war, the outcome of which is already very much decided. Because, of course, Rome. Juno isn't thrilled about this. It's a consolation prize. She knows Jupiter could change the fate if he wanted to, could allow Turnus to live on and defeat Aeneas in battle, even if the god won't. So, though she isn't thrilled with it, she agrees to Jupiter's terms. She will save Turnus's life just for now. So, Juno creates a false Aeneas, a phantom Aeneas. She copies him perfectly. Every detail of the Trojan is mimicked in this ghostly form she creates in order to carry out her plan to save Turnus's life. This form looks and acts and speaks like Aeneas, even if the phantom doesn't understand its own words. It taunts Turnus, lures him towards the phantom figure as though Aeneas is retreating back to his ship. Turnus follows, eager to finally do away with Aeneas. And of course, if Aeneas is alone on his ship, it will be such an easy job. The phantom of Aeneas lures Turnus deep onto one of the moored ships. 
And once it has, Juno breaks the moorings, sending the ship sailing out to sea, Turnus trapped on board. Aeneas yells uselessly from land, unable to find and kill Turnus, in response to the death of Pallas. Realizing what's happening, that he's been played by some god, Turnus calls up to the sky, crying out in anger and shame at what's happened. Why have they done this? What has he done to deserve the shame of being whisked away from battle unharmed while all his men continue to fight? How will he get back? When will he get back? He calls and calls to the gods in his hurt, his anger, his embarrassment. Turnus considers his options. Should he just fall on his own sword right now, end his life, so he doesn't have to face his men having seemingly fled the battle? Should he dive from the ship and attempt to swim the rapidly increasing stretch of sea between the ship and the land? Turnus tries both plans three times. Each time, Juno keeps him from going through with it, holds him back, much to his increased frustration and fury. Of course, once more, this moment is mirroring the Iliad. Though, funny enough, it's Aeneas who gets whisked off from that battle. With Turnus removed from the battle, the Latin army needs a new hero. So, Jupiter gives a little prod to King Mezentius, the man with the storied past from previous episodes, whose son is Lausus. Mezentius enters the fray in full force, taking out Trojans and their allies left and right, once more raining destruction and violence down on the battlefield. There's never even a respite from the more horrendous aspects of this battle. Someone is always there to hold the power to wield the death. On it goes with Mezentius killing at random before he finally comes to a man named Orodes, one of the best of the Trojans and their allies. Mezentius could have easily killed Orodes with a spear through the man's back as he ran, but he moved to meet him face to face. Still, Orodes fell, taken down by Mezentius's spear. In death, he gasped of having his revenge before adding, quote, The same fate in the same field waits for you. Mezentius wasn't concerned, though. He laughs it off, telling the man to just die already. Quote, the father of gods and king of mortals will see to me. More blood, more gore, more death... The battle rages on, each side killing the other, victories mingled with defeat. I could tell you all the names of all the men who died in this battle, but it would take most of this podcast. Virgil gives us their due, just as Homer did. Finally, though, Aeneas spots Mezentius on the battlefield, a new foe to replace the lost Turnus, and he makes his way towards the towering king. Mezentius, we hear, is a very, very big man. As Mezentius prepares to hurl his spear at Aeneas, he speaks of his son, Lausus, who would wear Aeneas's godly armor upon the hero's death. Mezentius throws his spear, and it flies directly at Aeneas, hurtling towards him at a horrible speed. It hits, too, 
but it hits his shield, the shield created by Vulcan, god of the forge himself. The spear bounces off Aeneas' shield and shoots through the body of a nearby soldier, a man named Antares, one of the men sent by Evander. Yet another blow to Aeneas' guilt over how this battle is going. First Pallas, and now one of Evander's best men? In response, within a split second, Aeneas has thrown his own spear, and it is pierced through all the layers of Mezentius' armor and stuck into the man's groin, though not fatally. Still, Aeneas is pumped to have spilled Etruscan blood, and that of their king, at that. Aeneas makes to finish Mezentius off, but his son, Lausus, has been watching, and rushes in to defend his father, to distract Aeneas so his father could get away... Other Etruscans do the same, all coming at Aeneas at the right angle so as to free Mezentius for at least a moment. In response to this, Aeneas drives his sword through Lausus's flimsy shield and deep into the young man's stomach. The boy dies quickly, and at first Aeneas feels victorious, but that feeling quickly changes into one of sorrow. He thinks of the love he had for his own father and immediately feels the weight of the boy he's just killed, the weight of the battle itself, and just how much death has been caused by it. He apologizes to the boy's body, telling him he'll keep his weapons and be given an appropriate burial. A departure from the Achilles-style Aeneas of earlier, this Aeneas is better than Achilles. He has a heart even in his hurt and fury. This part of the Aeneid is so free from the propaganda and other nonsense that exists in some other sections, it's hard to tell it with anything other than a serious tone. I know this is a comedy podcast too, but it's just so much battle, so much death. Virgil's really at his best here. The way he speaks of these men, their lives, and their deaths, it's really sad and really beautiful. Mezentius has a moment with the body of his son and his grief and his new and powerful anger at Aeneas before he bursts back into the battle as though he hasn't just been horribly wounded. It doesn't matter to him now. He wants only to avenge his son's death. When it comes down to it, though, when the men are fighting face to face, it isn't much of a clash of swords. Mezentius is finished fighting. He just wants to be with his son now. He lets Aeneas wound him, and after a speech about his son, his death, and a plea to bury him with his son, even though he's surrounded by enemies, so many of those enemies once his own subjects, he presents his own throat to Aeneas's spear, and his blood flows out. When morning comes, Aeneas makes the necessary offerings to the gods, including Mezentius's armor, among others, meant for Mars, the god of war. The victory mingles with grief. He's glad for what they've accomplished, but pained by all the death and violence. How to feel about the Trojans here is tough. They're imperialist in their own way, but also refugees. They didn't want the war, but they also didn't give it up and go elsewhere when they knew there would be one. Destinies and oracles are a powerful thing. Aeneas speaks to his men, cheering them on for the previous day's accomplishments. 
They'd done well in the battle, the most notable of victories being over Mesentius, whose armor Aeneas stands over as he applauds the Trojans and their allies that surround him. The Trojans and their allies make plans to prepare their dead for the necessary burial rites so they might safely make their way to the underworld. Most importantly, though, Aeneas plans for Pallas' return to his father, Evander. Aeneas's grief over Pallas is deep, along with his grief over the whole mess. Virgil makes strong connections to the Iliad while separating it equally. Aeneas was Achilles in select moments. He isn't now. He's measured and thinking through his actions, where he barely had a personality in the earlier books of the Aeneid. It's really coming out now, as if he's becoming the founder of the great city that will eventually lead to Rome, but definitely isn't Rome to begin with, as if he's becoming the hero of future Rome. Aeneas puts together a group of a thousand men who will bring Pallas' body back to Evander, and the whole of them prepare the body and a means of carrying him. They all take great care with Pallas, show of respect to him and his father. Once this is done, and they begin to consider the rest of the dead, men arrive from the Latin camp, asking for a brief truce so they can gather their dead and provide them with funereal rites that they deserve. Aeneas knows this is generally just the right thing to do, but he also has to consider the fact that he intends to make this land his kingdom once the war is done. He'd best show what mercy he can. So he agrees to the truce. The Latin soldiers are so appreciative of Aeneas's piety and his mercy, they basically agree that when this is all over, they'll gladly live in his new city. It's only Turnus he really needs to worry about, they tell him, because these men are speaking for the Latins of King Latinus, who never won the war in the first place, but Turnus and his men are still a group of their own. Of course, I mean probably some propaganda here. No one wants to read a story where your whole culture is founded on people taken by force, people who hated Aeneas and the Trojans. It's much nicer to think they respected and appreciated him for his actions. In the end, though, it's mythology, so why not have the people at least okay with the idea of Aeneas taking control of the region? Propaganda or not, both sides of the war are given the time to mourn their dead, to bury their dead. This once more echoes the Iliad. So too does the moment when Pallas is finally returned to his father, Evander, who, much like Priam when he sees the body of Hector, is overtaken with his grief, throwing himself upon his dead son. But more on that next time, in the very last episode of Virgil's Aeneid, wrapping it all up with a nice little bow. I kid, I kid, this last half mirrors the Iliad, you remember. Oh, nerds, thank you all for listening. It's probably clear from what you just listened to, but it wasn't really possible to add that much commentary into this episode. It's really just lots and lots of battle, and then some more battle. But then so was the equivalent portion of the Iliad. It's the nature of these epics, and truly, this whole section is its really told beautifully by Virgil. The language is gorgeous. It's moving, too, the way each side deals with their death and grief. So, like I've said, next Aeneid episode would be the last, and fortunately, it will be accompanied by a bonus episode, a conversation with a real-life professor of these things, who really gave an incredible defense of why the Aeneid is great and why Aeneas himself isn't that bad. It was a supremely fun conversation. I personally learned so much, and I think you'll all really enjoy it. And after that, oh my god, I can't wait to get on to other things, the original things from this podcast. But next week... 
next week. A conversation with one of my favorite authors, she of the beautiful retellings of women-centered stories of ancient Greek mythology, Natalie fucking Haynes. You heard me. The episode coming out next week is a conversation I had a couple months ago with the brilliant, incredible author Natalie Haynes, all about her new book, A Thousand Ships, which is new to North America at least, but has been out for a while in the UK. I loved the book. It's a beautiful and touching retelling of the Trojan War through the eyes of the women involved, from the Trojan women to the goddesses down to even Eris and the muse of epic poetry Calliope. It's stunning. Highly recommend the book and oh, how wonderful it was to speak with Natalie Haynes all about the women of mythology, how they're treated, how we can reimagine their stories or just amplify them. Thank you all so much. You're all so lovely. I am Liv and I love this shit. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.